If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. I'd like to introduce Elaine Russell. So Elaine's a specialist in equine facilitated learning. She's going to talk to us a little bit about her journey, about how she became involved with equine facilitated learning, and uh, she's got a very special horse she'd like to tell us about, and just a few benefits of being involved within equine facilitated learning. So how are you today, Elaine? I'm very good, thanks, Glennis. Good, good. Now, Elaine, your favourite quote, what have you got for us? Um, I think it would have to be by the man himself, Winston Churchill. Yes. It goes along the lines of, there is something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of man. <laughs> I don't think you're the first person, actually, who's told me that that's their favourite quote, but I absolutely agree, and I'm sure in your specialty of equine-facilitated learning that you'd find a lot of people would have to agree with you. I think that's why we find it so appropriate because mm. of yeah what we do. Yep, yep, yep. Now, how did you actually get involved with equine-facilitated learning? Was it something that started early? Tell us about you know, when you first got involved with it? I think it was more of a happy accident than a deliberate policy okay. of looking for it. In the UK, we have a very structured kind of equestrian industry. You're probably aware of the British sure. Horse Society. Yep. So a lot of what happens over there is governed by the British Horse Society. Now, I remember as a child hanging out at the local riding school, doing the usual, mucking out horses in exchange for riding anything that was available. I spent summer holidays trekking, as we call it, trail riding, yep. in the Brecon Beacons in Wales and hanging around with horses. And I think it's more when we were left to our own devices as kids with the trekking ponies that we started to realise how smart these ponies were and what they could do and how we could get on a lot better with them if we stopped doing some of the things we were doing and tried something different. Mm -hmm. So I started off down the track of how do I get to understand what's going on for a horse and why does it make me feel good hanging around with horses? And that's really where I guess unconsciously I went looking for EFL, equine facilitated learning. Yep. So I then tried a lot of alternative or natural horsemanship kind of things. And one day I came across a combination of natural horsemanship and combining that with people who weren't necessarily that horsey, certainly didn't want to compete, but just wanted to have a better relationship with their horse. And that was where I met a guy called Franklin Levinson. He originally from the US, and he had this thing where you combined people with horses in a different way, and everybody came out of it being better about themselves, including the horse. Uh, that was where I discovered ES, 
and I think we had called it, or Frank had called it EFL at that point. So okay. that was in my late 20s. 30s. Okay, okay. So you said he didn't actually call it EFL. When was the first time you heard the term equine facilitated learning? I think that's what Frank came up with. I mean, okay. a few variations on a theme. The name gave was EFL, Equine Facilitated Learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if someone's going to become an EFL coach, what sort of core skills or capabilities or type of person, you know, personality traits, would they need to know before they even got started? You know, if we've got some listeners here that are thinking, oh, maybe that's what I need to do, what sort of person do they need to be? Generally, someone who's got existing Horse experience and horse skills. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter from what back Western English trail riding, dressage, matter as long as being in around with horses for a while in some capacity. Generally, okay. they also have a kind of drive to help other people. So their pastimes might be horses, but their jobs are often teachers, carers, someone in that kind of social sector and they know how to combine the Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then if they're going to start to do this type of work, Elaine, what's the best thing about becoming an EFL coach? Well, I would say usually because you can combine the thing that you do in pastime, generally the horses, that gives you that time, peace of mind, someone hang out, with the other thing that you like doing, whether it's helping children, whether you've been working with veterans, whether it's just a desire to get out of the rat race, to get outside and do something that's beneficial, constructive for everybody with your horses. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. No, no, absolutely not. Now, I know that you've got a, a special horse. I think you've bred a special horse. And just tell us a little bit about that and what part he had in your EFL journey? Well, I'll say it. his full name was Nebuchadnezzar. Needless to say, we didn't call him that for very okay, long. Okay. The Arab naming convention in the UK is slightly bizarre. So anyway, we called him Chad. I first met Chad the day he was born. I bought him when he was nine months old. He actually was bred by people that I used to crew for on endurance rides. Mm-hmm. Um, Being part Arab, he was probably about 55% Arab. I think it took Chad a long time to grow up. They tend to mature, certainly mentally, fairly slowly. And he was an interesting character. Chad never had any fear of people. But I can't tell you the number of times we have encountered killer butterflies in hedgerows of the UK. (laughs) (laughs) He was... A very spooky individual, and we're never really sure why, because obviously he spent his entire life with me. But it was a very interesting journey for me, learning how to deal with his invisible demons and how to get him to relax and how to get him to focus. All things that probably I wasn't actually very good at, but you don't necessarily realize that at the time. Chad came with me when I moved to Australia, at which point he was about 12 years old. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he actually adapted that very well, considering he was such a spook. Um, and he never seemed to get faced by the whole transition in climate and food and being with other horses. He always liked hanging about with people, but he would make it abundantly clear to people where they were at as opposed to where they thought they were at. He could be very amenable or he could just turn around and walk away. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't necessarily give any indication of why. That was up to you to work out. You're the one with the issue as far as he's concerned. Let's say he was always very transparent, which made it in some ways easy for people to learn from him because he would make it so obvious what was going on in his head would be apparent in his physical behavior, which was never extreme, aggressive, or anything like that. It was just quite funny and quite pointed. Okay. And Chad spent his entire life with me, which is fairly unusual, I think, in the horse world. Unfortunately, the climate out here does nothing for horses with melanoma. So he only made it to 17 and then decided he had better places to be, and off he went. <laughs> Yep, sounds like quite a character. He was, and I think anyone who met him would remember him. There weren't that many people who actually rode him other than me because they say it could be an interesting experience. And a lot of EFL is ground-based anyway, but mm-hmm. certainly anyone who did stuff with him would remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, thinking about some lessons that he taught people, what sort of things would he teach them? You know, like his what he's done is just stayed with someone or walked away. But what what achievements have people had through meeting Chad? I think they have learned. One of the things they learn is where their energy levels are at. Yep. So he would literally mirror their energy levels. If you came in very busy, very high energy, he would immediately start trotting around and shaking his head. Mm-hmm. And he may move away from you. He really actually completely left, but it would be a complete reflection of them. And inside, even if it wasn't apparent from the person's behavior that they were in that state, if inside they were boiling away, Chad on the outside was equally boiling away. Mm-hmm. So he would show them very quickly. And from that, they learned to project their energy differently, control where their energy was at, Okay. reduce the amount of energy they put into. For example, we can use physical cues or verbal cues when you're trying to get some kind of interaction with the horse. He never really took a whole heap of notice of verbal cues, but physical cues he was very hot on. You take a step too far forward, he'll stop. You come too close behind him, he'll speed up and away from you. Yep. So he was very good at showing them what their body language was saying, where their energy was at, and whether it was too much or too little. All right. And and just thinking just generally, and I'm sure you've got a few, but your students, the people that you work with, with EFL, have you got a case study or something just to give an example to our listeners the benefits of EFL, equine facilitated learning? I think one of the most impactful certainly on me because it was fairly early on when I was doing EFL was I had a little girl was brought by her dad I think both parents came but her mum 
um, was very upset at the time and wouldn't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. And for reasons that no one could explain, she was about four years old. She had stopped talking. It wasn't because she couldn't talk. There was no physical issue, Mm. but she just had decided to be um, what we call a selective mute. She wouldn't talk. Yep. And they were obviously very worried about this and could not fathom why she had done it. There didn't appear to be. Certainly there were no physical. They couldn't find any psychological reasons for doing it. And I think they brought her to me out of sheer desperation. So anyway, we took her into a little round yard with a little fat white pony and we started doing finger painting on the pony and we plaited and we had ribbons and she still was not saying much of anything and my daughter who was also about five at the time decided that this looked like way too much fun not to be involved with (laughs) so she came into the round yard as well and took Notice of the fact that this little girl wasn't speaking and being a fairly garrulous five-year-old, she carried on chatting as if nothing untoward was happening. About 20 minutes into this, the little girl suddenly started responding to my daughter. She just started talking. Yep, yep. And it was like the floodgates had opened. And I called her father over, who'd been hovering in the background, like where you could see, but basically out of sight. And she immediately ran up and wanted Daddy to come and see how pretty the pony was, what a princess they had all turned into. And he had to go and get the wife out of the car. And everyone was totally amazed, obviously, apart from my daughter and the little girl who couldn't understand what all the fuss was about. Yes. just wanted to go away and play pony. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. astounding. Yeah, And that's good. what happens. You don't know why. You don't need to know why. Mm. That's mm. just how it goes. Mm. Yeah, very good. Now, thinking about just the general population, because we talked about, you know, equine-facilitated learning and being fairly new, but the general population, particularly you come to another country, has there been much in the way of challenges to you? You know, oh, that's not going to work, that's just not, you know, doesn't work, that's not going to help. Have, has there been anything at all like that? Um, I can pretty much make EFL work for anyone, but Mm -hmm. it's not the same for everybody. And there is, as you say, uh, it's a new thing. Any kind of therapeutic horse interaction is relatively new, not very well documented to a large part. There are very few statistical studies, empirical data around how it does, what it does, whether it's my version or any of the others that are out there. And I would guess that it's a little bit confusing for Joe Public. Like, if they want to try this stuff, what is it? How does it work? Who do we go to? So I guess part of my challenge was making comprehensible what EFL is, what kinds of things it does, what kind of people do it. And, of course, the other issue is any of this stuff is, as far as I am aware, totally unregulated. Mm-hmm. which is a pretty precarious position. Mm-hmm. What can be done to regulate it? Good question. Look, I think it would take some doing and it would take a lot of cooperation from all of the parties out there who are involved in a therapeutic horse interaction. But 
generally, no matter what version it is, there has to be some underlying guidelines, structures, codes of practice that prevent the unethical and inexperienced and downright dangerous from getting involved. Because at the moment, there's absolutely nothing to stop anybody saying that they do this stuff, come see me, pay me money and I'll fix you. It simply isn't true, but there's nothing to stop them. So the difference between equine-facilitated learning and equine-facilitated some sort of psychotherapy or therapy, what's the difference between the two? Okay, a few of the others out there, I'll just about some names, like EGALA mm-hmm. or EAP, equine-assisted psychotherapy, tend to require that the person providing the service has some kind of medical and or mental health qualification. So in the first instance, they could be a physiotherapist, a speech therapist. They could be a sociologist, a psychologist. And then they either combine that with their horse skills or they have another person there who has the horse skills. They tend to be more reflective, analytical in their approach to what happens between the person and the horse. We don't go down that route. As far as I'm concerned, the horse is the one doing the magic. It would benefit no one, probably especially not me, to gain one of those qualifications first. It also means that EFL is probably more accessible. A lot of people with disabilities, particularly intellectual ones, cannot participate in those kind of therapeutic interactions because they are not capable of that kind of reflective behavior. It's not in their remit. So we deal with a wider range of clients than some of the others probably could because of the nature of the psychological aspect. Mm, mm, Okay. Okay. Now, just thinking about um, if someone You've sort of told me a case study and you've talked a little bit about that little girl. Is there another one that you'd like to say about someone that's maybe a bit older? The last, when we run the first level of training for facilitators, one of the days we have actual clients who come in Mm -hmm. and they're usually from the local area. I run the clinics all over Australia, so I don't necessarily know them. They volunteer to do it or they are known to the person hosting the clinic. They're all ages and abilities. But one of the ones we had in New South Wales, um, a chance encounter in the local hostelry after hours, the lady there was a waitress, loved horses, absolutely terrified of them because she had a really bad accident probably, I think, about five years before, um, which effectively resulted in her getting an ABI, an acquired brain injury. Mm -hmm. So she was desperate to hang out with horses, but really was too scared to go within 10 feet of them. She volunteered to be a client for us. I actually took the session with her, and we ended up with her 20 minutes later doing some liberty work with the Shetland Pony and loving it. Now, I'm not saying she was cured, Mm. but she had no qualms whatsoever about taking lead ropes off and handling feet and hanging out with this little pony and basically felt like she could progress from there. Maybe she would, maybe she wouldn't, but she certainly wouldn't be 
petrified of getting hit with a horse, and as far as she was concerned, that was a place to start, and she was well on her way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good, and it's changed her life, hasn't it? It's changed her whole outlook because where she was scared, she's she's got the confidence now to start to do something again. And something that she always loved, that was the terrible part. Obviously, yes. she was a rider and she loved horses, and she had a way back in. Mm, mm, mm. Good, good. So thinking about people when they first start, people who first come in, that they've been recommended equine facilitated learning for some particular reason, what sort of things are they doing wrong when they first come in that you can help them within a session or two? I try not to look at it as them doing something wrong. We I should say different then. We pick out the positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Positive ways of doing things. This doesn't look like it's working that well. Maybe we could try this. Mm-hmm. It's about finding out for the numbers where they are at and then taking it from there. Where do they want to go? What is it they are looking to achieve? We can't have some kind of expectation setting before we get loose with the horse. Just the page we're all sitting off. Mm-hmm. Generally, they want to get in there and be with the horse. And they have, as the previous lady, you know, a mortal terror of it and don't know where to start. Okay. But it's about explaining to them. This is how you need to start a relationship with both. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go running in there, throwing lead rights at them, dragging them around the end of it. Yep. Let's look at it from their perspective. How would that feel if you were the horse? Yeah. And take a step back, take a deep breath now. Let's approach this as if you are one horse to another. Let's think about it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And about you wouldn't do that to a person. An introduction to a complete stranger of go like that it's always it to the horse but generally in a way that they can utilize away from the horse so it becomes something that they use in everyday life just not something to do when they're around the horse yep yeah that good good i think that's a good lesson for everything you know it's just considering things from the point of view of the horse just how would you think you know if you're a horse how would you feel about that yeah, it's the same applies to yeah, training of horses. What yeah. do you think you're mm. telling a horse? Mm. I'm pretty sure that's not the message you're getting. Yes, yes, yes. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay, Elaine, what are you looking forward to now? You're getting ready to go to Equitana, so that, that itself is good. What are you talking about there? We have two sessions on the Educators Program. One mm-hmm. will be talking about EFL, um, yep. general therapeutic horse interactions, and then why EFL is different, how we do it, why we do it the way we do. And we will have two of our funded team with us. And the other one is about therapy horses. Okay. Um, what is different about the horse from any other horse? How yep. do they look? What yep. makes a good one? And those are the two sessions that we're doing. It's all around something to do with horses that is totally not. Yeah, yeah. Which 
let's face it, most of them are some form of competition or another. And we are not. Mm. <laughs> it's just mm. something different. And it's a way for less horsey, non-horsey partners of horse people to get involved in stuff that doesn't involve them chasing ribbons. Really. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's good. All right. So, Elaine, just thinking about if you were going to summarise your philosophy with EFL, what would you say if you were just summarising it all up? Um, I guess it's about walking your talk mm-hmm. for you, for the horse, for the client, and you have to do it with honesty and integrity because horses are very good at spotting lies, deceit, incongruence, and they will tell you all about it. But if you don't bring any of that to the party, all you get is some good experiences and a lot of learning. Good, good. Whether you're the client or the facilitator. Yes, yes. And I think um, it's the experience of going through that too. You realise how much you can learn. Yeah, there Mm. is a a whole heap more, probably a lot of horse people never thought about before because – it's something that gets bypassed a lot if you're in the competitive world. Nobody probably spends much time on the ground. Nobody really tries to think like a horse for very long. You're too busy with too many horses and too much other stuff to do. But it would help enormously. They would get something out of it. Everybody yeah. does. That's why we love EFL. <laughs> okay, Elaine. Now, if people would like to contact you about EFL, any questions or anything they need, what's the best way to contact you? Um, you can email, yep. which would be info at efl.net.au or mobile phone 0457-705-089. We have a Facebook page if you just want to have a look. We have um, a website, similar, more of the same information on there, but we're always happy to talk about what we love. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm sure that, you know, when things have settled down after Equitana, you'll have a little bit more time and we might be able to get you back on to speak in a little bit more depth in some of these areas. It'll be really good. Oh, love to, Glynis. If I survive Equitana, I'm more than happy to. <laughs> okay, then. Love to talk to you about the 10 point, you know, as a little bit more about the type of horses that you look for within EFL as well. Absolutely. Perfect. All right, we'll look forward to chatting to you again, Elaine. Thanks for the time today. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.